0: made i don't think about the prior (laughs) process beforehand and i think exactly i think making coffee is very analogous to scaling marketing you have (laughs) the beans you've got to crush the beans and there's a certain energy force that has to crush the beans and you've got to have what you're going to stew it in and you've got to put them in and then you've got to heat up the water there's a lot of uh, force and and uh, physics you have to overcome to heat up the momentum to then create this you know, catalyst to bring all of the goodness out of the beans that have been crushed. And then at the end of the day, you have something that people want to have three cups of before, you know, it's in the afternoon.
1: That is an analogy I'm going (laughs) to use in the future. I like it. Well done.
0: Yeah. And we can get crazy with coffee, but today we're going to get crazy with scaling marketing. And we have um, a very special guest, Douglas, not Nielsen, Douglas Nelson. And we've got Dave (laughs) who is going to be helping to guide this conversation. My name is Ryan Folland. I'm the man behind the doodles here. This is what we start off with. I'm going to be dubiously taking notes uh, while I'm drinking my coffee and learning about scaling marketing. Uh, I'm a keynote speaker and I love to create simplicity when it comes to complex systems. And so I'm excited to listen and learn and draw. And now I'm going to take the proverbial sharpie, so that Dave can now take and draw a great conversation.
2: Fantastic! Thanks, uh, thanks a lot, Ryan. Um, uh, since we have so many kids in our house, we've we've tried to remove all sharpies uh, because the you know the last <laughs> thing we want is you know sharpie drawings on the wall. Um, but uh, really, uh, really happy to be here this morning. Uh, looking forward to our uh, conversation with uh, with Douglas. Um, Douglas, um, and for everybody out there, I am uh, Dave DeBaugh, VP of Marketing at Agora.io. I'll get into, um, you know, uh, during this conversation, a little bit of the scale and growth that, uh, uh, that we've been putting forth over the last uh, 24 months since I've been at Agora. Um, right now, though, Doug, we would <laughs> love to get some, uh, some background uh, on yourself and the company that you uh, are working for and just a little bit of uh, uh, of information about your current structure of your marketing organization.
1: Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, Really excited to be here. Uh, So I um, have been a marketer in various roles for let's just say 20 years and then some, I don't wanna date myself too much on this, Um, but uh, I joined JustWorks uh, almost two years ago to the day. And uh, I was hired originally to build out the demand gen function here. Um, And uh, it just works for those of you who don't know. We are a PEO or professional employer organization. Basically, we support small businesses with their HR, payroll, compliance needs. Um, We typically focus on businesses from two to 100 employees. Uh, That's our sweet spot. Um, I was employee 162. Uh, we're now up to 470 employees in a little less than two years. So we're growing rapidly, which is a good sign for us. Um, and, you know, what I inherited when I joined Just Works was a demand gen function of two employees. Um, and having done this at a few other organizations uh, previously, have also run larger marketing organizations. Um Really felt like there was a massive opportunity here, given the audience that we target, um, and given the fact that our leadership team and our board are fully invested in marketing. Um, so what does that mean? Basically, while I don't have an unlimited budget, I have a healthy budget for a company of our size. Uh, I get a lot of budget envy from my peers um, at organizations much larger than this, Um and it's been great. I mean, we we have built out from leveraging two channels to about twenty-two different channels now. Um, some digital, some, as I like to refer to it as vintage marketing, uh, but they're all going in one direction, and that is really rooted in awareness and conversion for us.
2: Excellent, excellent. Uh, but I have so many questions about vintage marketing because um, <laughs> I, I I think um, I think especially with um, you know our team here at Agora. Um, uh, I end up uh, essentially talking about a lot of vintage marketing as well. I was, I, but I was calling it retro marketing, but vintage, uh, vintage might be um, uh, a, little, a little cooler, I think, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, um, uh, uh, Douglas, uh, sort of like you, the, uh, the team at Agora has been uh, growing pretty rapidly over the last two years. Uh, I think when I um, uh, first started working with the company, we were around 50 employees. Uh, we're about to clear our, our um, 300th employee, um, and you know, basically under under two years um, since I've been uh, I've been with Agora. So we're we're experiencing a, you know just a, a, a ton of growth as well. And one of one of the interesting things, like you, um, you know, I just had a couple people on my team um, when uh, what when I joined, and um, and and from there, you know, we had to make some some decisions about, you know, how do we grow the, uh, grow the, um, not just a marketing organization, but the brand experience, uh, globally. Um, so I'm kind of curious, you know, like, where are you at today? Um, you know, from a sort of a
1: marketing organization size and a team build out size. Yeah, sure. Great question. So the marketing organization, I'll just give you a, a quick summary of how we, um, are disciplined. Um, There's the revenue marketing arm, that's my team. We have 15 team members now. Uh, We have brand marketing, we have a design team, we have product marketing, and we have a strategy arm. Um, So five core teams that make up the larger marketing organization. Um, interestingly enough, there was a time where revenue marketing and brand marketing were separate entities. We did that for about a year. So the revenue marketing arm reported into Isaac Oates, our, our CEO and founder. Um, and then, you know, as I think you can attest to, as the organization starts to scale, growth challenges, you know, present themselves. We're always tinkering with the organizational structure to figure out what feels best. And it felt like, um Bringing the two marketing organizations back together made the most sense, really predicated on the five-year strategic plan we now have in place. So there's been a lot happening in the background. Um, But to give a little more context, the revenue marketing team is basically made up of events, uh, brand and advertising channels. So that gets into Mm -hmm. our out-of-home strategies. Uh, Our digital uh, TV opportunities, Uh, we have sponsorships and partnerships with uh, the New York Mets here in the New York area. Um, And then we also have the performance marketing arm, which is really the digital arm. Um, So our paid and organic uh, strategies sit within that team. And as I said, and then we also have what we refer to as a market response team. This is a team of five analysts who basically qualify every opportunity that comes through the funnel as a marketing qualified lead. um, They do that last mile qualification. And basically we have to do that because there's a level of complexity to our business and who we're selling to and whether we can service uh, these prospects or not. And we're at the end of the day looking for about 15 different pieces of information or criteria that we have to check the box on before we hand an opportunity over to sales. So having this market response team has been critical uh, in terms of not only driving the quality of opportunities we move through the funnel, but the conversion rates um, down towards the bottom of the funnel, um, and it's worked out incredibly well for us.
2: Yeah, I think I think definitely getting to the uh, um, the truth of MQLs, you know, making make sure they're really MQLs before they move over to uh, uh, to the QSL world is, is is important as well. It's it's kind of funny in the old days of running um, one of these. Kinds of marketing organizations, or Doug, as you might say, the vintage days. Um, <laughs> I, I we would we would have definitely um, uh, not had as many qualifiers, not had clear, you know, nearly as many qualifiers in place, and even understood the questions the way we do today. I think, right, um, and and that really, you know, makes uh, makes a big difference, especially when you're when you're starting to talk about um, increased spends. Um, Doug, I've got to know with your with your big budget. <laughs> Will we see a Super Bowl ad at some point in the, in the future?
1: <clears throat> so that's a great question. That was a hot topic around here. Um, it's interesting because the, the, the DNA that Isaac has really put into the organization is he's a huge believer in hiring people in areas where he doesn't know much. And he'll be the first one to put his hand up and say, I don't know a lot about marketing. So I brought right. you guys in. And we got into this topic about, you know, um, our fiscal year, just for clarity, runs from June 1st through May 31st. So we're coming up on our new fiscal year in about three weeks. Um, So there's a lot going on here. And part of that, obviously, is the budget planning. Um, And we talked about not only expanding the budget, expanding the number of uh, markets or MSAs that we're going into, but also the channel usage and where we want to make some bigger bets. And the topic of a Super Bowl ad came up. and, you know, I think Isaac's notion was that this is just purely B2C. Um, it's trying to make a big splash. Would that be the wisest investment? And while it's not something we wanna do right now, when we think about our TAM, we're talking about um, tens of thousands of small businesses with upwards of, you know, anywhere from 25 to 35 million employees. That's a massive market. And I'm pretty sure some of them watch the Super Bowl at some point. Um, so yeah, so we had an interesting back and forth. I don't know that we're gonna do that necessarily, but it does speak to the way we view channel usage and where we want to invest because we have a different strategy, um, in almost every market that we're going into,
2: uh, or in currently. Right. Um, which, which leads me to like, you know, sort of a, an interesting question, uh, about verticals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, verticals and vertical marketing um, and, you know, becomes very important, especially when you are starting to scale a, a scale an organization. Uh, you know, you, you, you always you always hear, you know, you should just go after your low hanging fruit first. Um, right. And the the analogies are all terrible. But, <laughs> uh, but to some extent, you make a lot of sense. So when you, um, uh, you know, as you've kind of gone through your journey at, uh, at JustWorks, how did you sort of hone in on the um, specific verticals um, that were working for you? And and were you at all surprised by any of the verticals?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, and just to clarify, so when you're talking about verticals who we're currently servicing, so- uh, the Yeah. Of, yeah, sure. Yeah. So yeah, we have a very defined set of verticals currently. And then we have a lot of adjacent verticals that we might be able to sell into. It really gets back into the nature of the, the PEO model. And basically, it's all about risk and assigning risk. Um, so our insurer basically has to be comfortable with the type of business that we're engaging with to make sure from a workers comp standpoint, that's always an issue that we can cover them properly. Um, so again, I get back into how we pre-qualify and then do additional qualification. Um, but I think by and large, our verticals are professional services in technology, in healthcare, uh, in the agency side of the business, so we have a ton of digital and creative agencies that are on our platform, um, even more SaaS companies. Um, but basically, we've really thought about how we want to engage them um, and understanding their channel consumption. Um, and again, this is a this is a relatively it's a millennial audience by and large. Um, so one area that was interesting for me um, is that. I was not as willing to put money into Facebook as our digital agency was. and We had a lot of back and forth around this because I was trying to understand what kind of conversion could we expect to see. We really hadn't used Facebook previously. Um, and in during this past fiscal year, Facebook became our second highest performing uh, ad platform channel, uh, which I did not see coming. I'm pretty good at owning things when I'm not right, uh, as my team will tell you and uh it was a pleasant surprise for us so we started to see more and more traction there was a question that we had to um, answer around the quality of leads and mqls that were coming through as opposed to adwords where the quality was much higher um but we were able to tweak um our messaging uh the types of ads that we were running uh starting to implement more video into that mix as an example um And, yeah, really tailoring it to the personas that we target. And those personas can run the gamut of a, you know, two or three person company where we're typically dealing with the CEO to a 20 person company where they might actually have an HR function built out and certainly have admin functions to a 100 person company where it's more fully formed. The C-suite is basically in place in some form. Um, So our personas uh, change or are, are augmented with the size of company that we're, that we're going after. And uh, and that manifests itself in the types of channel engagement that we're having.
2: Uh, it, it, it's amazing. Uh, you know, the marketers that I talk to um, and how often, Doug, I hear the, I can't believe Facebook worked. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: you yeah. know, but
2: when you, when, when you think about it, you know, all, you know, um, if you're in B2B marketing, um, and in your case too, you know, your B2B to consumer, I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's a consumer, uh, you know, flair and flavor for, sure. for your brand. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting, you know, how effective, um, Facebook can be. And, and one, one of the real reasons behind it is, you know, how, um, it's also the thing that gets them in a lot of trouble is the, <laughs> uh, the ability to target at such a, uh, miniscule level so and, and down to the detail which which makes a, a big difference whereas google is great
1: but it's a, a little bit more traditional branding sure casting a little bit of a wider net i think the other thing that we're looking at too in terms of targeting and how data is being used amazon is going to become a huge um channel for us as well um, if you really start to think about amazon's audience uh the fact that they are embracing ad tech and moving very aggressively in the background uh, to bring you know uh, advertisers like Just Works on board, um, there's there's a high ceiling there. Uh, we believe for conversion, so we're going to be investing a lot more in Amazon in the coming fiscal year.
2: Cool, cool. Uh, my family tends to invest a lot in Amazon every week. <laughs> yeah, same here. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Oh, look, there's another Amazon box at the door. Uh, um, so. Um, when you were when you know when you got to just works when um, when you actually started scaling the organization what kind of um, key
1: positions did you did you fill first yeah great question so I came into just works wanting to understand the ecosystem of marketing and the engagement process we had with the various personas that we were trying to uh, target and start a conversation with and you know what I realized very quickly is that there was no formal program in place to do that, it was somewhat ad hoc, um, which spoke to the low uh, traction that we were getting. Um, we weren't really investing heavily uh, in AdWords, as an example. We had just partnered with a digital agency on the West Coast, which was, in hindsight, probably a mistake for a couple of different reasons, um, but primarily they just didn't understand our business very well. And I felt like we, sent- we needed something more tactical, kind of hand-to-hand combat, if you will, so the roles that I look to fill, and I, as I had said, I inherited uh, two members of the team at the time, I really needed a program manager to come in pretty quickly and start to establish um, some context and structure around what we're doing quarter over quarter. As an example, our Q2 is the busiest uh, season for us. That's our selling season, if you will. We probably book around 65% of all of our revenue during that period, and my first Q2 here was a little bit of a scramble. That didn't feel very good. Uh, And although it was very successful, you know, I felt like we were missing a lot uh, in terms of how to execute, what the expectations from that execution should be. So building out the program team, which really consisted of hiring a program manager and then defining uh, our performance marketing arm, our events marketing arm, and our branding and advertising channel marketing arm. That's what I looked at first. Um, and spent the better part of a year bringing people on board, um, and you know we've we've done very well with that team in particular.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, it it can be really hard to um you know figure out exactly what you need uh, today, and then also build for the future, um, which is which is always sort of tricky to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like in in marketing um, we're, we're always behind. So, the, so yeah. the growth starts and, um, and, you, and you realize you need more employees when you're suddenly working seven days a week, 20 hours a day. And, 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 you, and so is your entire team.
1: Well, yeah. And I think, too, it's understanding what the expectation of marketing was from leadership here, from the board, um, and trying to really paint a picture of what this could be moving forward here's the investment that you're going to want to make. Here's how we're going to do it. This is the return you should be expecting. There wasn't a lot of that built into the conversation prior to my arrival because we were really focused on awareness. So while we were doing a lot of really interesting uh, brand related activities, actually understanding what full funnel activity within marketing would look like was really not there. Um, So it was It was good because we could explore that journey as a team, figure out what we wanted to be, and then set about putting it into place, um, which has worked out well. And we have four primary channels here around new ARR. Um, We have three sales channels with account executives, uh, SDAs or SDRs, uh, and a business development channel, which is more around uh, channel partnerships. And then we have the marketing channel. And when I joined, Um, marketing was the lowest of the four contributors to the overall ARR. We also count the number of lives that we put onto our platform. That's an important benchmark for us uh, as well. Um, And in 14 months, we went from the lowest performing to the highest performing, um, which has felt really good. And it's not just the advocacy around they'll give you a lot of budget to work with. That can also be a curse if you're not careful with that budget. Um, But it was more around the tactical deployment of, our strategies and seeing some pretty significant return, uh, which has certainly excited the, the leadership team, but also I think the company as a whole.
2: Got it. Um, what kind of? Um, um, I mean, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but uh, what kind of real sort of um, internal challenges did you have um, in in growing your organization? Um, I, 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 having done this also, you know, a couple times. Um, you know, it, it, it can be, uh, sort of difficult to, um, uh, explain, you know, brand <laughs> and, right. you know, things that, uh, that don't necessarily generate, uh, ARR right away.
1: Right. Yeah. Great question. So I think, you know, what we had to get to was conviction in our approach, uh, and then, and being able to, you know, narrate. Um, what that would be wasn't the difficult part. It was finding the people to fill those roles and doing it quickly. And uh, thankfully, um, we've attracted, I think, a diverse mix of marketers from lots of different backgrounds. Some have come from the startup space. uh, Some have come from the corporate space. And I actually focus more on the larger corporate space because of uh, the program uh, discipline I want to instill. That's not something I've seen typically um, scale to effect uh, in the startup space. And I felt like in order for us to be uh, fully formed and functioning at a high level, we wanted to have that program uh, piece in place. So that's where we really started. And then it was, you know, to the to the point around the brand, it was also getting a handle on The brand equity, how this brand is viewed um, and, you know, understanding the value of that um, from a customer standpoint, our customer advocacy is incredibly strong. You know, we retain over 99% of customers year over year. Um, We never talk about the platform in any of our ads. We don't feel we need to. Uh, That's a, a huge advantage for us because just getting people to understand why a PEO might make sense for them. Is a, is a pretty challenging bridge to cross sometimes, uh, especially in our space where you're trying to engage with you know, a relatively um, streamlined uh, messaging and, and visual approach. Um, but that, is, uh, that has actually not encumbered <laughs> us at all. I think we've actually done very well leveraging the brand elements. And we've had fun with the brand too. This is not a particularly sexy space. Shocking, I know. Um, so we've had to have some fun with our brand, which happened well before uh, me and and the team arrived, but it's definitely been something we could leverage, uh, which has been hugely helpful.
0: So I've got a quick question for you, Douglas. You said brand elements and, you know, I always go back to the the question of the larger brand and the individual brands of the people who make up the company. So Mm -hmm. I'm just curious your stance internally, when you have 400 plus employees, what is, what what do those individual employees and their brand and what they're known for in that space have to do with your larger strategy?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, 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 go ahead.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's the, the advocacy that we speak of on the employee side is real. I'm, you know, I joke uh, probably more often than I should, but I, I definitely am one of the older members of this team here. Uh, it's a little painful to acknowledge that sometimes, but it is what it is. So this is a relatively young group here. Um, who have a high degree of, of social awareness and acuity, that has leveraged itself as well. So we view the employees here as part of that brand ambassador. And I know that gets thrown around a lot. That's actually something that we live here uh actively and we put a premium on that. Um, you know, we've also talked about people are not gonna be here forever. And when they move on from Just Works, if they do. We want that time here to be good because they become advocates for us out in the world, outside of our four walls, which That's is a hugely great, great important. Great
0: point. Yeah. Because you're, yeah. I, I love that spin that you're giving them the best support you can internally. So when they leave, if they realize that they're not set up with the right type of program, they'll be like, Hey, I got a buddy. I got a, Let's make the phone right. call. That's interesting. And I, can't,
1: I can't tell you how often that happens. And hmm. um and it's been, you know, I think it's indicative of what Isaac and the leadership team have instilled here, which is, you know, we are, one of our monikers is work fearlessly. Like we want to be able to uh, enable our customers to not worry about the stuff that we're taking care of in the background. Um, and we want employees here to feel the same way. Um, and that has done very well for us. Um, and each each part of the business has that built into their persona, their DNA, and they live that, uh, I think, by and large every day. And it's been huge. And you know what you're gonna see from us in the coming year is a lot of the employees here are gonna be part of our digital uh, display ad strategy. So we can hire actors, but we've got a really good eclectic group of people here that we are now featuring in our ads. Uh, we've tested some of the early ones. They've done really well. They have fun with it too it kind of ups their investment in the company. They get a kick out of seeing one of their ads pop up on a retargeting with one of their friends, you know? Uh, so it, it has, uh, it's paid well for us and, uh, and they like it. And it also, I think makes them feel invested in what marketing is doing. You know, you can be in customer success, you can be in sales, you can be in engineering, but you're still going to be appearing in the ads that we run. And I think that that has the tangible, uh, and very real effect of, uh, of, broadcasting a positive message for them.
0: I love the answer, that's great. But Dave, Dave yeah. back to you, Hot Pocket, back to you. Hey, I was gonna
2: say, uh, I, I love the answer as well. And, um, uh, you know, plus you don't have to pay employees union dues. Uh, no. <laughs> no, no, no need probably for craft services and and all those things that you in these video shoots. So that's, yeah. uh, uh, that's, re- that's really good. Um, you know, focus uh, focusing sort of in on the right right sort of mix of marketing activities um, is sort of directionally where I want to uh, I sort of take today's conversation from here. Sure. Uh, how did you? Because um, uh, I know you know sort of in my experience, um, especially at Agora recently, um, you know, trying to find the. Uh, the right marketing mix, uh, casting the, the appropriate, the right net, if you will, uh, to, to sort of hunt down the right types of customers. Uh, definitely was a challenge. It, it's something that uh, we certainly, I, I think, have figured out. Um, but it, it wasn't something that I think anybody knew, you know, sort of coming into um, into the space. So I'm kind of curious how you how you pulled that off there.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I think what we tried to focus on, and this was in process before I joined the organization, like we were really starting to take a, a deeper look at the personas, who our core audience is, and who we want them to be moving forward, and and that's part of the the challenge, but it's an exciting part of our business, which is we're discovering each month new customer bases to go after. Again, it's predicated on whether we can service them from an insurance standpoint, for one thing. Um, so there's a little bit of work that has to go around, uh, to go on in the background. But, you know, I think looking at marketing and looking at, you know, what we are doing from a brand and, and brand for us is really content, video production, um, whether it's on the website, whether it's in our ad copy, um, we are producing more and more videos, um, that are really servicing the entire organization, not just what we may need on the revenue marketing side, uh. But it really forced us to think about the who and the what and how we wanted to start a conversation with them. Um, And the team itself, uh, right now, the marketing team is about 30 or so employees. We're going to 46 in the coming fiscal year. Um, We've built out a robust product marketing arm, which wasn't here when I arrived. Um, We're adding uh, in terms of PR support. Um, we're trying to bring some of the things that we've outsourced in house, uh, from an agency perspective and PR was the first area that we're, that we're going to do that. Um, and then I think it's really about making sure that all these teams are aligned. So we definitely still have some challenges around what my team is looking for versus what brand is creating versus what we're saying to the press. And that's a constant, you know, we check in on that weekly, sometimes multiple times a day depending on what the activity is, uh, because things are moving quickly and we have to make sure that we're aligned. And Camila Velasquez who runs marketing uh, for all and just works has really put a premium on making sure that as the teams work cross-functionally that we are a, not uh, tripping over each other and certainly remaining on brand. Uh, but that's a, it's a muscle memory that takes a little time to develop.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- I think it can be, uh, it's, it's always, it's always challenging. It's funny because, you know, when you scale an organization, a lot of times, um, you have to put in, you know, consultants and contractors and, you know, you jump on websites you've never heard of to find a graphic designer, um, (laughs) you know, and you, and you do all these things. And then eventually, especially in a larger sort of, um, opportunity, uh, when, you, when you're kind of going from a, a startup to a, to a real growth company, right. um, you really do tend to bring, um, uh, you know, the functionality back in, um, back into your organization. Well, and, um, and
1: I, th- I think the other thing that we want to achieve here, too, and it was something Camila and I talked about during my interview, uh, was that we wanted to build almost like an executive MBA program for the team that comes in here that they're going to learn a ton. And regardless of how long they're here, and we hope it's for a while, um, that they're going to walk away from this experience as better marketers, um, and have a much better understanding of how marketing can really influence the direction of an organization. Uh, so we put a premium on that. And, you know, I think by and large, the team feels like they get a lot out of this as well. Um, that's our hope anyway.
2: Yeah. Uh, we, we, uh. Uh, we like to say we're we're training um uh, sort of uh, tomorrow CMOs today yep. on 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 our team, but you know I'm like uh I, you know it's a it's a young team, so we're we're not quite there yet, but uh, uh, but we are at uh, we are at full training, I think. Yep. Um, so how do you um you know sort of being on the demand gen piece um you know obviously there's always a lot of pressure there uh to to help you know make sure. Uh, everything is heading in the right direction. Um, uh, it's funny when I get to put my branding and PR hat on, I, I feel less pressure. Uh, when I got my demand gen piece on, I tend to lose more hair. Um, <laughs> so, so um, how do you uh, how do you sort of handle the the, the pressure of the position?
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, I think thankfully I have most of my hair, and I haven't noticed much of it falling out in the two years here. Um, There is, I mean, you know, candidly, look, we have monthly goals, just like the sales organization. Um, Our team is very transactional uh, by nature. You know, this is, we have that immediate feedback loop around the dashboards that we're running, the data that we have is dynamic. So we know pretty quickly if we've got a channel or multiple channels that are underperforming in a particular market. Um, and I think we're adept at identifying challenges and, you know, making decisions in real time to change that dynamic. Um, I think the pressure that we feel is really that, you know, we have aggressive growth goals and because we've had a really good fiscal year 19, um, those goals went up about 45% for fiscal year 20. So there's my pressure right there. Um, but here's the beauty of it the organization is giving us the budget we need to compete. And while it's not all about budget, you know as well as I do that being hamstrung uh, and having to make decisions where you're taking, you know, money from one channel and putting it into another can have the adverse effect uh, longer term. So I feel like we've got a ton of, uh, at least two years of really predictive data that we have that we're leveraging now where we know what performs in each market, which channels outperform. Um, I'll give you a great example. Uh, Los Angeles was a new market for us at the start of this fiscal year. And while I expected good traction out of the inbound channels, the marketing channel, we actually blew it out of the water, um, which was really gratifying. Uh, It did not require an overinvestment so what it told us right away was that this was a market that understood our proposition. Again, we're a New York brand, so we don't always resonate in other cities the way you know, kind of that snarky New York um, approach that we that we have fun with doesn't always resonate in other in other locales. Um, and my concern about uh, Los Angeles or Southern California was that I don't know how they're going to get the brand, what they're going to, what kind of value they'll get from it. Um, and early on, we took a very baseline awareness based approach um, and it, it really started to get traction on, uh, on, on AdWords and on Facebook and ended up being our highest performing uh, MSA outside of the New York metropolitan area. Now, here's an interesting tidbit. We were not actively marketing at all in Northern California. We had made the decision years ago that there are so many competitors in that space where LA was underserved, San Francisco or Silicon Valley was overserved by people in our business. And we felt like word of mouth was doing enough for us. And San Francisco is one of our higher performing uh, markets, but we weren't making any active investments there. Uh, that's going to change for the coming year. Now we're finally starting to see that with no effort, we were getting good traction. Let's see what happens when we really invest in that market. Um, so it really is a market by market decision. And our mix is varied across the probably 15 different MSAs that we're in now. That's great. That's great. Okay.
2: We've got time for one last, just unbelievably important question. <laughs> um, and uh, and I, I like to ask, ask this question of um, basically most of, the, most of the marketers I talk to. But um, what, what do you um, and how do you manage your team's projects? Um, because project management tends to be one of those things that is, is, is certainly overlooked and um, is, is a very important piece to really sort of uh, bringing your organization
1: together. Yeah, great question. Uh, at a certain point, you have to move away from Google Sheets um, <laughs> if you want to scale. And uh, what we have done, we, we use this, uh, Ansana uh, for the most part, um, which has been, I think, good. It's, it's interesting because within marketing, some teams like the design team use the project management system a lot more than perhaps my team does. Um, and again, I think it's the nature of, if you think about the four or five designers that we have now, they're not just servicing marketing, they're servicing the entire organization. So that in and of itself is a level of complexity and tracking that uh insana has really i think helped them um i think for us uh the team uh we're using it as well we also have confluence pages and we try to use a hybrid of the two uh to make it work but we have not i wouldn't say we have uh crushed it on the project management side i think we're still trying to explore what feels best for the entire marketing org um but um right now insana seems to be the one that is used more than anything else yeah, that, um, I think one of the, the hardest things with a scaling
2: organization is realizing that, that um, and it's, it's, it's something you guys have already realized, that uh, certain people inside a marketing organization end up working with a, a bunch of other organizations in a, in a growth company. And from that comes re- requests, demands on time, right. uh, creative has to be built out. And there's a certain sort of, you know, brand element that I'm sure you guys are trying to um, uh, bring to the to the forefront. So to to kind of deliver all of that um, certainly can be challenging, especially for uh, graphic designers and. and people oh, yeah. Design. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. Ryan, I'm going to go ahead and throw it back to you. I can't wait to see what has Ryan crafted <laughs> for us.
0: Okay. Well, look at this. See
2: if we can get a get the get the full get the full picture
0: here, right? Dog, so dog, that dog, I just want you to know that person in the middle is is you. Yes, you. And uh, and there's there's the coffee mug right there, right there, because it is. And my recap is really um, gonna I'm gonna fly with this coffee analogy. First of all, you have to have the best beans. The best beans yep. are the best employees. They are the smartest people in the room, and you can't be afraid to do that. Then you don't have to grind them up like this is an espresso. You've got to make it coarse. You, you let them have the rough edges and they have skin in the game so that later on when they leave, they know where the best coffee is in town because they have actually been a part of brewing that coffee. Yep. Then you have the water, right? This is the hot water and you've got a, a sizable marketing budget and that helps the hotter the water, the more you can pull all the um, all the goodness out of the beans. And then depending on how you're actually, you know, using it, you might you might not know that there's a a good percolator over on Facebook, and there might be a nice sort of French press over on Google AdWords, and there's the different ways you can do it, but you don't really know unless you go through the motions to brew it, smell it, taste it, and then decide if you want to brew in that area again, and so I just really think that Uh, What I heard was a consciousness of the brewing process. And the more you have your employees involved in brewing it, like, Hey, you know, Susie, can you go ahead and make that coffee today? Sure. Great. Everybody gets a little bit more skin in the game. So it's great to see how scaling starts with the bean that has to be crushed. That has to add the water that has to have the time to percolate that has the time to test. And you know what? There's probably a little cream, probably a little sugar. Everybody takes it differently. But at the end of the day, uh, for me, scaling marketing and in reference to what i've learned here today is like a nice brewed cup of coffee absolutely couldn't have said it better myself <laughs> well you said it for about 45 minutes and so i just took <laughs> what you said and regurgitated it so oh, for all of you no go ahead final final word no, the,
1: the, the the coffee analogy really works i will now be having coffee for the remainder of the day so thank you very much for that
0: <laughs> awesome and i'm sure that all of your employees and your customers right actually maybe And I'm just throwing this out there. Maybe you should send some like care packages of coffee beans and talk about how, you know, coffee is a big part of the culture. And maybe you can start sending coffee instead of flowers and, you know, potential
1: employees. send them. So uh, ironically enough, um, our experiential during this current fiscal year in both Philadelphia and Los Angeles, we had a coffee truck, fully branded coffee truck. In both cities, we went to high uh, density areas um, and we basically, you know, track by zip code where we think most of these prospects are. And for a week in each location, had a coffee truck giving away free coffee, free donuts. Uh, It was a huge hit. And that's the kind of stuff that we like to do because it it gets out of the notion that, well, you're just a PEO, you're just providing payroll or, or benefits for small businesses. And it really allowed us to engage with both customers who would come out for a free cup of coffee, but also bring some people that they knew uh, and who might be a fit for our platform. Uh, so the, the coffee analogy has a long tail in this conversation for sure.
0: Awesome. And it's just very homebrewed and the more homebrewed yeah. it is, the
1: more people involved in the process, the
0: more your marketing and scaling can grow. So for people who are listening to this crazy coffee analogy or something <laughs> here that Douglas said, or that Dave said hit um, you know, Definitely take this podcast and share it, whether you see the video, whether you hear the audio, because this type of information, we can all be better at building coffee machines that will scale your organization. And if you want more of these podcasts, you can go to scaleupvalley.com, where we have uh, weekly episodes that we show live and then we show as a replay. And you know what? Sometimes it's nice to go find a pot of coffee that is cold and heat it back up. So, you know, nothing like a microwave. So you're sharing and your comment and your subscribing is just like being in on that coffee train. So on behalf of all coffee drinkers out there, <laughs> I will say this has been a lot of fun and uh, I might actually have to hit up my third cup now. So thanks,
1: everybody. This has been great. Thank you. guys. Thanks, guys. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye.
0: Bye.